Hey, we'll be in Acts chapter 16, continuing our walk through the book of Acts, looking at the story continues. We see God's big story continue to move forward over the past 2,000 years through His Spirit-empowered people. Somebody in Jerusalem told somebody, they told somebody, they told somebody, they told somebody, until finally the message gets all the way to you in Nolan County, America, 2,000 years later. It's amazing. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the the truth and the goodness of the gospel. I pray we would just be um, turned upside down by you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... um, For 2,000 years, again, this message has been being proclaimed from one generation to the next. And we've got the greatest message ever. But we're constantly kind of trying to find ways of of presenting that message uh, in in today's world. And sometimes we do that really well. And sometimes we do that very poorly. And that brings me to a topic of church marquees. Um, I have a a love-hate relationship with church marquees that's really no love at all. It's more of just a seething hatred for driving down the road, you see like a church marquee. And every now and then they'll say something really good or helpful, but usually it's just not. And I've, I've collected a few here that we'll walk through, some unhelpful church marquees. Um, this first one, you know, un- understanding the uncurched. I mean, I can, that's fine that there's not a, an H in there, but um, I'm not sure far, farther down satin formal worship at 4.30. Um, I'm not sure what satin formal worship is, but if I was uncurched, I would really want to find out. Okay, next one. Uh, sometimes we want to use like language, like technology language, so we can download your worries, get online with God. Okay, I'm, I'm compelled. Uh, next, I'm not sure if this is offering like two benefits of church membership, prayer and free wireless access, or if this is saying prayer is free wireless access. Either way, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I'm in either way. What happens in Vegas is forgiven here, so that's kind of another... Another kind of benefit, you know, what you did in Vegas is forgiven here. Walmart is not the only saving place. I really don't know that we want to say that, we're, you know, we, we, we're the lowest prices in town, but whatever. Walmart is not the only saving place. Uh, again, this is privileges, free coffee, everlasting life. Yes, membership has its privileges. So everlasting life, coffee, okay. Um, so sometimes, hold on here for a second. Sometimes we want to tap into pop culture. We're all about that grace, about that grace, no devil. Okay, the next one's a little less, I kissed a girl and I liked it, then I went to hell. Um, that took, a, took kind of a, a dark turn, you know? I'm not, sure that, <laughs> I'm not sure that that would bring me in. I kissed a girl, I liked it, then I went to hell. Love God and others, it's not rocket surgery. And it's really not. It's not rocket surgery to love God and others. Who, sometimes, this is one of the reasons we don't have our marquee, is I would get mad. Whoever stole our mower, God will get you. Yes, he will. Jesus is alive and dangerous. That'll get the people asking the questions, won't it? Jesus is alive and dangerous. Call 911, this church is on fire. That one's actually pretty good. That's pretty good. This, now, I mean, do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. Mm. Thank you, David. Thank you. Want to get a little taste of hell? Come here, this guy. All right. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help, okay? We will, we'll help kill you. Don't, don't, don't let it just be the worry. This is, we love hurting people. Um, I, know what, I know what we're trying to say there. 
but uh, yeah, we're going to hurt you and we're really going to enjoy it, okay? Um, all right, so obviously those are some, other than laughing at others' expense, which, let's face it, always is a little bit fun. Um, what, we, what we have examples of there are, are, are we've got this great message that we're trying to convey, and sometimes we kind of get off, we kind of get off base with it. Sometimes we miss what the heart of our message is. And if you were to ask um, a lot of Christians, hey, what is the gospel? We might give all kinds of answers. But as we walk through the book of Acts, what we're landing on is that the, what we keep seeing over and over again is that the gospel is that Jesus is king of the universe. Jesus is the king who has been promised from the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of every Old Testament promise and prophecy and hope. And he's the fulfillment of every hope and dream of every human heart. And, uh, and, and we can trust him, that we can believe in him. And, uh, and that message, Romans 1.16 says, is the power of God for salvation. But uh, we, have, we have often wandered away from that message in some humorous ways, but often in some unhumorous ways too. So we're going to see in Acts 16 um, three different gospel conversations. And we're going to see the gospel set three different people free. And these people are three uh, very different people, very different people. But kind of to set the stage for Acts 16 before we get there, uh, back at the end of Acts, back at the end of Acts chapter fifteen, Paul and Barnabas are ready to start out on their second missionary journey. A couple chapters back, they went. They 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 encouraged churches. They shared the gospel with uh, uh, with 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 people. People came to know Jesus. Churches were planted. And then there was this very important meeting that happened. We talked about last week in Acts fifteen, where there's uh, the church. Uh, you know. Uh, unequivocally says we're saved by grace, not grace plus anything else. But now in Acts 16, uh, Paul and Barnabas are ready to go out. They're going to go out and encourage some of those churches they planted. They're going to go share the gospel in in, in new places. Um, But before they can leave, something happens, and that's that Barnabas and Paul, these great team members, these brothers in Christ, they get in a fight. They get in an argument. Not a fist fight, but they get in an argument. They get in a debate. And what their debate is about is about this guy named John Mark. And we read about this at the end of Acts 15. John Mark had been with them on their first journey, their first trip. And, uh, and in Acts 13, we find that he, whatever reason, he left them. He went home. He went home. And he left them. And Paul was not a fan of this. All right. He, uh, apparently when, when the time to come on this next journey came around, uh, Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, Barnabas is this guy that's going to love you no matter what. Barnabas is the guy that you let him down 10,000 times. He's still going to give you another chance. Paul, on the other hand, he's like, you let me down. I don't know. I'm not going to trust you again. And so, and so Paul does not want uh, John Mark to go on this trip. He says, man, I got to have people that I can trust. I got to have people that I can count on. And and Barnabas saying, yeah, but what about grace? And I mean, he let us down, but let's give him another shot. And some of the most bitter uh, disputes, some of the most bitter um, debates can happen when there's truth on both sides of it. And, 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 and Paul's about the truth and and Barnabas is about grace and, and there's truth on both sides of this. And they have this bitter debate and they split company over it. Uh, Paul goes this way, Barnabas goes that way. And that's a grievous thing that happened. It didn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have been that way. But I appreciate that that story is included because it tells us that the church has never been perfect. There's, all, there's never been a time when there hasn't been debate, when there hasn't been conflict. There's conflict here. Paul was not a perfect man. Barnabas was not a perfect man. Uh, there was conflict here. And even, even through that ugly conflict, God was able to do something. God is sovereign. He was able to do something out of that. He was able uh, to send... Um, 
to, to create two missionary trips instead of one. All right, and so God was even able to work through their conflict. Later um, in Paul's life, he's going to write that, uh, that John Mark has been a, ba- a great encouragement and a great help to me. And so there's going to be redemption in their, in their relationship, but sometimes that takes a while. Um, so that fallout happens, and, we, and that's one of those things where, where we, we, can, we can see that the Bible is inspired by God because we're not just seeing Paul at his best. Uh, we're seeing that, that there's debate and there's struggle and there's friction. And if I was writing it, I might not include those you know, kind of sordid details. I would say, yeah, we ne- everything was great. We never had a problem. But we see here it was real life. Okay, And so God can work in our real life too. And so, and so we pick up in chapter 16, verse 6. And as they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, and when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. So what we see happening here is Paul is trying to go over here and the Spirit of God says no. And then he's trying to go over there and the Spirit of God says no. And then he has this vision of a man calling him and they end up going over to Macedonia. They go to Philippi. Now some of us are saying, yes, exactly. I'm going to sit here on my couch or on my pew and I'm going to wait until God does that for me. I don't know what doors are open. I don't know what doors are shut. So I'm just going to kind of lay back here and when God gives me a vision, I'll go do that. But the thing we might miss is that Paul isn't just like sitting around waiting for a door to open. He finds closed doors and open doors and has this vision while he is in the process of being obedient. I mean, he has already taken the first step. He's already moving. He's already going. He's already obedient to God. He's already on his way. I mean, he's, he's, on his, he, he's already past the green light. He's already past go. He's already uh, on the move. And as he's on the move, God reveals his specific plan to Paul. And for some of us, we might be stuck and we're not making a step and God's going to reveal his plan as we take a step and as we're moving. And, and sometimes maybe we get too caught up. I love Jeremiah 29, 11. I love that God has a plan for all of us. I believe that he does. But sometimes we can get paralyzed waiting for that specific plan for me. And I love the way that Bob Goff puts it. He says, maybe the plan is that we just go out and love everybody. Like, let's start there. Let's start there, that God's plan is that we go out and love everybody, share the gospel with everybody. And as you're obedient to God, as you serve him over here, as you serve him over there, as you try this, as you try that, he will guide you. He will lead you. He will say, no, not over here, over here. But he's not going to do that probably just with us sitting on our couch and waiting. He's going to do that as we are taking steps of obedience. That's what we see here. We see that Paul wanted to do this. God redirects him over here. So there's a sensitivity to the spirit in Paul. Um, God's Spirit opens doors, hearts, homes, and prisons. That's what we're going to see here. So while they're on the way, God's plan unfolds. And in verse 10, something interesting happens. Uh, the pronoun transitions from they to we. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, and cl- concluding that God had called us preach the gospel, to preach the gospel to them. So Luke, apparently, they pick up Luke, who's writing Acts. They pick him up in Troas, and they go together to Macedonia. And we're going to, again, encounter three different people. And the first one is a wealthy, in Philippi, the first person we're going to meet is this wealthy 
woman named Lydia. Now, Philippi was a, a really important uh, uh, city. It was named after, it was founded by Philip of Macedon. Alexander the Great's father it was named after him, Philippi. And now it's become a prominent Roman colony. And lots of Roman soldiers have stayed there. And there's this real Roman flavor to the place. And, uh, but there's people there from all over the world. And the first person we meet is a woman named Lydia. All right. So setting sail, verse 11, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace in the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now, there's some things that we learn about Lydia here. Lydia is, uh, is not from there. She's from uh, uh, Thyatira, which was in uh, modern-day Turkey, so she's from more of the Asian region. Uh, but she's, she's, uh, she's a businesswoman. She's a prominent woman. We're told that she's a seller of purple goods, which if you've studied this passage before, you know that, that purple dye was really expensive. And so she's like, uh, she's like a Vera Wang of, uh, of this time period. She's a designer, she's a businesswoman, and she's selling high-end uh, fabric. And this fabric that she's dyed, interestingly, the word used for dyeing fabric is the same word used for baptism. Their fabric was immersed in this dye until it, was, it took on the properties of that dye. And this woman who's been immersing dye is going to be immersed in water and become immersed in the character of Jesus. Pretty amazing how that works. And so she's a wealthy woman, businesswoman, and Paul has the sense that there's going to be some people meeting and gathering for prayer out here on the riverside. Um, Usually, Paul would have gone to the synagogue first, but there had to be a certain number of of Jewish men in a place to have a quorum, to have a synagogue. So the fact that he's going out here to the river is probably meaning there's not a lot of uh, of Jewish men. There's not a synagogue here, most likely at this time. And so it's primarily women out here that are meeting and they're praying. And Lydia's not Jewish. She's an outsider of the covenant. She's not Jewish, but she, like, like Cornelius and others we've met in Acts, she's, she's seeking God. She's a worshiper of God. She's a, a God-fearer. She wants to know God. She's, she's fascinated by the stories she reads about, about this God of Abraham and Isaac and, 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 and Jacob. And so we read that uh, as Paul talks to her, verse uh, end of verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Isn't that amazing? Like it's, we're not told, uh, hey, Paul's, Paul brought a message that was just so good, guys. Man, that third point rocked, you know. Uh, it, that's not it. It, it. We're not told, Paul, man, Paul was so awesome in the way he presented the gospel. To her. It's not about him at all. Now, he's not a jerk. If he had been a jerk, that would have, in, that would have inhibited her ability to, to hear from him. But he just... He just opens up God's word and he demonstrates to her that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises and all the prophecies of the Old Testament. And as she hears that, we're told that God opens her heart. So can we take some pressure off of, of, of ourselves? If you have a pressure that maybe there's a neighbor or a coworker or a friend or a family member that you want to have a conversation about the Lord with, um, that person's not going to be transformed because you did such an awesome job presenting the message. That person's going to be transformed because God opens their heart. And so we trust God with that. We do our part. We share the word um, prayerfully and humbly, I hope. And then it's up to the Lord to do his work. 
the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. In verse 15, after she was baptized in her household as well, so her whole household, plus is their trust in Jesus and they're baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So this is a persistent woman who prevails on them and her house becomes the base of operations for this team. And she hosts them. And isn't it like, a pretty, it's pretty striking to me how immediately, at the same guy that opens doors hey, go here, don't go there, is the guy that opens her heart. And as soon as God opens the door and opens her heart, the next thing is she opens her home. And her home becomes a place where ministry can happen. Most likely, the Philippian church met in her home. Lydia's home probably was the first church gathering place in Philippi. And, and, and so, you know, when, when Jesus gets a hold of us, we, we want to open up everything we have to him. And so some of us are saying, you know, I'd love to use my house for ministry. Maybe I'd love to host a life group or maybe just have my neighbors over and build relationships. Um, but, you know, it's kind of messy right now. And I've got this project that I'm not finished with. And, well, the kids have toys everywhere. And, uh, you know, she could have made all of those excuses, I'm sure. Maybe the patio wasn't finished yet or whatever. But your home, I believe, is one of the primary ministry tools that God gives you. So have a, whether it's formally, like you're formally like hosting a life group through the church, or whether it's informally, you're just, you just know somebody, you need to, you need to walk some, some, some stuff through with the Lord. Have them over, have a cup of If they don't like the stuff that's on the floor, hand them a broom, and they'll, they'll get to work. I promise they'll like it better after that. Don't worry about that. Don't let that. But that's a great ministry tool that God has given you to build relationships. God opens her heart. God opens her home. And he uses that. And most likely, years later, when Paul writes his letter to the Philippians, the most joyful, encouraging letter uh, he wrote, in my opinion, and a great place to start reading. If you're looking for a place to, re- to start reading the Scripture, start reading Philippians in your New Testament. This probably was first read in Lydia's home. Isn't that amazing? So she opens up her home. Next is we find a slave girl who finds freedom in Christ. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, so they're going back and forth daily to this place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination, and she brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So she's oppressed um, by like a demonic spirit. That spirit of divination, literally it says she has a spirit of a python. Isn't that weird? Isn't that a weird way to put it? That she has a python spirit. And a python was an image in this time of a false god or false goddess. And, uh, and it was this image of of uh, div- divining uh, things and telling the future. And so she is oppressed, but somebody has found a way to cash in on her oppression. And there's people that are benefiting from her being oppressed. Um, and so she's following them around and saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And, and that might sound like, well, what's the big deal with that? Why not just let her say that? Well, one, she doesn't know who the Most High God is. In her mind, she may be thinking about Zeus or something. But two, she's doing this in a way that's disruptive and it's, distra- and it's distracting. And, um, and she kept doing this for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed. So underline that. Paul became greatly annoyed. And so do, do you ever become greatly annoyed? No, not you guys don't. You've seen, me become, you've seen me become greatly annoyed. And I take some real comfort in the fact that Paul became greatly annoyed. And he became greatly annoyed. And what does he do? He turns to her and he says to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Notice that Lydia comes to Christ in this very calm way. And this is going to be 90% of the times that you lead somebody to Jesus. They're just talking about the Word of God. And, and God just opens her heart and she gives her life to Jesus. She finds King Jesus through just walking through God's word. This slave girl, she gets set free through this miraculous, supernatural encounter. Are you ready for that? 
You believe there's people that are still oppressed by the devil? Where one of the summaries of Jesus uh, in Acts is that he, goes around, that he went around healing all who were oppressed by the devil. There are people oppressed. And there's still people that are cashing in on other people that are oppressed. You want to help somebody get off meth? You think there's going to be people that oppose that? Yeah. There's going to be people that aren't, that aren't happy about that. And so what happens is Paul speaks this word and is accompanied with God's power and she gets set free. But when her owners, verse 19, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. Hey, I love that we're a source of comfort for our city, but do you think there's ever a place for us to be a disturbance? In the next chapter, in the next chapter, um, Christians are accused of being people who have turned the world upside down. When Jesus gets a hold of a life, he turns that life upside down. That doesn't feel good, does it? Jesus turns a life upside down. And then he sets you loose to go turn the world upside down. And there's going to be people that are going to love that. There's going to be people that are going to hate that. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stock. So Paul and Barnabas get beaten, and they get, they get their clothes ripped off of them. And they're bloody, and they're bruised, and they're naked, and they get thrown into prison. And the third character we meet is this jailer. Now, this jailer would have probably been an ex-soldier because prisons, jails at this time, were usually entrusted to former soldiers. And so you've got this really wealthy lady, lady Lydia, and you've got the slave girl. Now you've got this kind of blue-collar guy, and he's been a soldier, and he doesn't have any, he doesn't even blink at taking these guys that have been beaten, and he just throws them in the stocks, and he goes to bed. This is a hard guy. This is a guy that's lived a hard life, and he's seen some things, but he's going to get a new beginning. He's a Roman. He's not Jewish. He throws these guys in the stocks. He goes to bed. But about midnight, verse 25, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We walked through this passage not long ago, and there were people paying attention to Paul and Silas. There were people saying, you know what? These guys just got beaten, and they just got thrown in prison. They got the clothes tore off of them, and now they're singing hymns to God. They're worshiping and they're praying. Wow, these guys must really believe what they're saying. You know, there's people that are not here right now. Maybe some people that are here right now. There's people that are watching you and watching us and they're asking the question, is this real or not? Is this real or not? Or is this just an act? Um, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everybody's bonds were unfastened and the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. This, this jailer... This, this, this man, this hard man, this tough man, uh, he, thinks that all, he thinks that all the prisoners have left. This is going to reflect on him. He's going to, at the very least, not have a job tomorrow, probably not have a life tomorrow, and he's ready to commit suicide. He's ready just to take his own life. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself. We're all here. Now, he, he, he might still have decided to fall on a sword and die, but Paul was able to say, Hey, you're not by yourself, bud. We're here. That's what Paul could do. We're here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, most likely this jailer isn't saying, how can I go to heaven? How can I have eternal life? What he's really asking is, how can I get out of this mess that I'm in? 
And did you know that that's the question that most people are... When he says saved, rescued, I mean, he's asking, how do I get out of this bind I'm in? And that's the question that most people we encounter are asking. And we have the privilege of saying, you know what the biggest bind you're in? Is being in a bind in bondage to sin. And Jesus can set you free. And that's what Paul does. He, he, he walks through this, the gospel story with him. He says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. That's a very succinct, very simple presentation of the gospel. You want to share the gospel with somebody? It's this. Believe in Jesus. He's the Lord. He can save you. Will you trust him? Will you place your confidence in him? Will you believe in him? You, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. That means that Paul unpacks a lot more. He probably starts with creation and kind of walks this jailer through the whole story and he shows how Jesus is the fulfillment. How do we know he does that? Because that's what happens every time in the book of Acts the gospel is presented. And he shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of all these promises. And they spoke the word. In verse 33, he took the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. Man, I love that. Hang out on that. This calloused, hard jailer. Before he gets baptized, he washes wounds that he's inflicted. That's part of what the gospel does in us. The gospel will give you the desire to cleanse and wash wounds that you have inflicted. And he does that. doesn't take the wounds away, but this is a great moment, an incredible moment of kindness and mercy, reconciliation. He washes their wounds Paul's wounds, Silas's wounds, and then Paul and Silas baptize him. Man, that's powerful. That's a powerful picture of what the gospel does. He's baptized, he and his family, and then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, people eating together that never would have eaten together before. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. You know what? He still doesn't know if he's going to have a job tomorrow. He still doesn't know if, if, if he's going to have a life tomorrow. But he's had the opportunity to believe in Jesus. And he's had a meal, and they're, they're talking about the things of God. That's an incredible and a beautiful picture. So we've got the, the woman, Lydia, who was wealthy. We've got the slave girl who had nothing. And we've got this Gentile, this non-Jewish man, this jailer. And why of all the people on this trip that probably gave their lives to the Lord, why does Luke highlight these three? I have a, an idea, and it, go, it comes down to a prayer that Paul would have prayed every day that he was, uh, before he became a Christian, every day before Jesus knocked him off of his horse. Every day a Jewish man, and this is in, from one of the prayer books, every day a Jewish man would have prayed, Blessed O you, O God, King of the universe, who have not made me, a Gentile, a slave, or a woman? Who do we see? Who are the three people that got their lives turned upside down by Jesus in this passage? A Gentile, a slave, and a woman. The three last people the old Paul would have expected are the three that we get told about here. Now there were others, but this is a picture to us that there's nobody outside the lines that Jesus can't get to. And the church at Philippi gets founded on this woman the slave, and this old crusty Gentile jailer. And I like to think that years later, as, as the letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians is read at Lydia's house, 
As communion is passed, this jailer passes that bread to that little slave girl and she passes it to Lydia. And at the foot of the cross, the ground is level there. That's an incredible picture of what the gospel does, what the gospel is, and what the church is meant to be. God's spirit opens doors, hearts, homes, and even prisons. The band's going to come up and we're going to wrap up here. I just invite you to give some thought on, you know, how is Jesus wanting to turn your life upside down? How's he calling you to be a person who turns the world upside down?